0: I'm sure all of us in our lifetime have gone through and experienced what I want to call this morning, the unexpected, something happening to us that we didn't expect. Um, maybe it happens with kids more uh, than adults because they're just starting out in life. So they still find wonder and awe, don't they, in the simplest things that you and I long ago have not We've, we don't find awe in those things anymore. Um, it could be a uh, Christmas present, a bike. How many of you got a bike at one point in your life for Christmas? I can remember I did. And uh, it was a glorious day. For a kid, it might be a vacation, you know, a trip somewhere, piling up the car. I could date myself now, the station wagon. Mom and four boys, oh. Single moms, listen, (laughs) I understand what you go through. You know, it's funny as I think of vacations that, you know what I remember about our vacations? The motels and the swimming pools. So my mom could have just drove to Tacoma and we could have just spent the week in the pool and us kids would be happy. Maybe it was a puppy for a kid. And uh, that's an unexpected thing. Adults, we also have experienced unexpected things. Maybe for some of you, you could think back to that job that you went to college for and you worked so hard for, you applied yourself, you waited patiently, even maybe graduating until the door opened and then the unexpected happened. You got a job that you were hoping you'd get and you maybe are still in that position and you love it. It might be a surprise from a friend or a family member, a gift or something. And again, nothing on global scale, really, it didn't mean anything or much to other than the person that was giving and to you, but in your heart, it was a huge thing. It was unexpected, and you were humbled by it. The unexpected also can come in bad news, unfortunately, can it? It can come if there's a loss of a loved one. That is certainly something we oftentimes will go through unexpectedly. It could be bad news from a doctor test, or um, a, a visiting of a doctor, or a relationship that maybe has come to an end, and it was very painful, unexpected. But this morning, I want to focus on, I want to focus on that unexpected idea. Okay, so get that in your head. The unexpected news and events that we see in our passage with the shepherds on that first Christmas morning. And here's what I want you to be thinking about as we go through um, my scripture, the scriptures today. First of all, has what was unexpected to them and changed their lives done the same for your life? And so you should know this story well enough. And if you don't, I'll help you. But the unexpected for them was obviously the angels. It was the message of the angels. It was then realizing the birth of the Christ child that the nation of Israel had waited for. And so that'd be the first thing for us to think about this morning, has what they didn't anticipate happening that day, has that happened in our life, and has it had the same effect? Then the second thing to think about is this, when we think of the unexpected, the coming of Jesus as a savior of the world, is it still causing you then to have that awe of the Lord? And so this morning, if you are here and you do not know Christ, I'm glad you're here. I'm thrilled that you're here. You might be put in that category um, of a seeker. You just are, you believe in God and so forth. But this might be the day, this might be the morning that it becomes clear to you, I need to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. But for many others of us, it might be the fact that We've allowed the busyness of the season to kind of just push us along. And man, doesn't it just push you along? You just really go from one event to the other or for one thing you got to get done or anything. On the way to church today, my wife said, when we get home, can we? And then she wants me to work with her on the final gifts that are needed, right? And then she went on and said, let's not talk about that right now. I have something else on my mind. (laughs) And she said, understand. (laughs) But that's what I want us to do. Now, think about this. Did this passage that we're going to look at this morning just include, that is in the Bible, just include information and facts surrounding Jesus' birth? Or do we believe that it is part of, as Hebrews 4.12 says, the living word of God, And it would be like Psalm 119.105 says that it desires to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so I guess what I'm trying to say this, maybe I didn't say that the best way is we want to also make sure that we remind our hearts today that this is God's word. You and I both have plenty of books at home. I have a library at home filled with books, but this is the book. This is the book that's been anointed. This is a book that was breathed out by God through his holy men. And this is a book that God wants to speak to us through, and it's living. So I want you to do that today. So let's look at the passage again, okay? Follow along with me, verse 1. In those days, in what days? In the days where um, Jesus was about to be born, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, and so Caesar is the emperor at this time, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria and all went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth. Can you picture it in your mind? Nazareth up there by the sea of Galilee to Judea down south below Jerusalem a little bit to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the lineage of David. So they had to go back to that. Place where that was the case, to be registered with his with Mary, his betrothed, and who was with child, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn, and so like I said, Caesar Augustus was the Roman emperor at the time. He's the one that, in a worldly sense, carried all power. The power of Rome was behind this man, but he was the emperor and he decreed that a census be taken of the people. And the census is like our senses are, and probably for some of the same reasons, unfortunately, it was to know who the people were, but then sadly to tax the people. And it wasn't uh, for military service. It wasn't taxation for that, because Jewish citizens were exempt from military service back then. But it was to register the people, if you will, to take a census of where they're at, who they are, and thus be able to tax. And it's interesting that God uses, watch this, this census, if you will, to do what? He uses his census to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. And you may be tracking with me, there's significance in that. And the significance is, that is the fulfillment of prophecy. It is in Micah 5.2 that says this, But you, O Bethlehem of Euphrethah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be the ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, the ancient of days. And so it, seem, it so what seems like it's just an obedience to the government at the time, to Caesar at the time, that the census would be taken and they'd be a part of it and they'd do what they're supposed to do. It was actually a fulfillment of prophecy, that which was told at one time. This is a simple way to put prophecy. Prophecy is that which is told at one point and at another point it is fulfilled. And so that's what the Lord used, if you will, to get Mary and Joseph to the place where the Christ child was to be born. And even though we live in a culture where evidence is not as important as it was when I came to the Lord, the fulfillment of prophecies, um, the, the archeological findings and so forth, and just the how scripture is put together was, was evidence that I considered and that meant a lot to me and had an impact on me coming to Christ, and then walking with Christ all these years, in our day and age, it doesn't hold the same importance anymore. I mean, we live in a day and age where it it truly is, what is your truth may not be my truth. And the problem of that is, a lot of times, is somebody's wrong. (laughs) Your truth isn't truth, right? And it is evidence that should be considered because it shows who Jesus was in light of the odds of that prophecy or prophecies being fulfilled. And so it's an incredible thing. And again, the skeptic, the non-believer might uh, jump to the conclusion, well, let's just back it up here because the Bible was just a bunch of men putting down what they want and they fail to see that it is so much more than that. It was written by individual men as they were led by the Spirit and so they were led by God. And yet you and I know if we've been in the word for any length of time and known the Lord for any length of time, that this book is so unique, that this book has a consistent message, doesn't it? And actually the Old Testament's message is pointing to the New Testament, that a savior is coming. And so we, we see that in there. And, and notice it says, verse five, Mary, who was with child. So another interesting thing, Luke doesn't go into that. You want to go to Matthew account and then Luke's account to get the full Christmas story, if you will. But Luke doesn't give us the details of how this came about. How did Mary become, as it says here, verse 5, with child? And again, it's in Matthew 1 and it starts at verse 18. You don't need to turn there, but just so later. And as you read it later, you'll see that there was Joseph and Mary and they were engaged. Okay. Much different than our day. We get engaged today and we do not look at it as a marriage until actually we've come before the preacher or the judge or whoever, and we've said the vows, we've sworn whatever, and then we are married. But in those days to be engaged was to be married, if you will. And so they were engaged to be married. And they had not had any sexual relations up to this time. And again, I'm not saying that so that we could talk about that topic, but I'm just saying Mary is in this engagement, in this marriage, if you will, there had been no sexual relations when she learns that she is with child. Now, I don't know, I've never asked um, you ladies, and you don't need to answer me right now, please don't, because it could be embarrassing. But I wonder what goes through a lady's mind when she hears that. And I say that, guys, because if you haven't noticed, we don't have kids, okay? We don't bear children is what I mean. But here it is, Mary is told that you are with child. And so the best I can, there's all types of stuff that goes through my mind. What would that have been like, that all of a sudden, God the Spirit tells you, you are with child, and that it has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph was going to break off the marriage, and we read in Matthew 1.20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, so he wants to end it, because it's a shame. He thinks that she has stepped outside of their relationship. This angel appears and saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And of course, we know that Joseph took her, and Jesus is born. And so Luke doesn't give us those details, but if we take both accounts, then we get this full picture of what we call the Christmas story. And like with Luke, when he tells us Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem, fulfilling that prophecy out of Micah, So in Matthew account, we get the same thing, the fulfillment of prophecy. In Matthew 1.21, we're told that he would be named Jesus. That's where that is said. And not only would he be named Jesus, but then we get this prophecy there at verse 23 that says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. And so if I can this morning, there is a second prophecy, isn't there, concerning the birth of Jesus, and this one from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. It's Isaiah 7, verse 14. And so again, what an interesting thing that we see that in the birth of Christ, there's these prophecies. And just so you know, that Matthew's audience was the Jews. And so if you read through the book of Matthew, you will first of all notice how many times they all quote the Old Testament. But how many times he is quoting the Old Testament, and that's because he knows who his audience is, and he wants to see him and see that Jesus is King and Lord. And I think that we should... Let me back a minute. Micah then dates between 735 and 700 BC. Isaiah is 739 to 68, 681 BC. So both prophecies are some 700 plus years before the birth of Christ, and yet what they say happened, it was fulfilled in spite of the incredible odds. And so, again, I think what we should consider is if you've given your life to Christ, you are standing on solid ground. You are. And you should be encouraged by that. And if we haven't given our life to Christ, then this morning is another time where I believe God through his spirit is speaking to you who have not given your life to Christ to consider the evidence and let that evidence lead you to then take that step of faith that is required and surrender your life to Jesus Christ this morning. It is incredible to when you examine the evidence of the Old Testament, the prophecies of the Old Testament and then you you could look this stuff up and you see the odds of that prophecy or prophecies coming true, and they did, you realize that this has to be of God. And so verse seven, she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Verse eight, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. I think so. (laughs) And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring good news to you of great joy that will be for all the people. And so I don't know how soon after Jesus is born in Bethlehem, That the angel now appears to the shepherds in a field nearby. But the distance between Bethlehem and Jerusalem is very short. Last time I was in Israel, uh, me and one of the other people that had gone with us on the trip on our day off, we hopped a bus and went down, back down to Bethlehem to visit a, a friend of hers that was a teacher in a Bible school in Bethlehem. So it's not far at all. But there was some time between there and And so we go then from what? We go from the manger scene, which we could describe as being the profound, the amazing, the wonderful, to what we mentioned to start with, the unexpected as the shepherds now come face to face with the angels. And again, like last week, you have got to put yourself into the scripture, don't you? Put yourself in that field, put yourself there with those shepherds at night Remember how many nights you have been in the field. And this has never happened before. <laughs> you know, there's a lot that's happened, but never this. And all of a sudden, this angel appears to be followed by a heavenly host. And it's an incredible thing. And so the shepherds are there. And what you, your idea of shepherd might not be quite accurately. So let me help you with that. And first of all, generally speaking, shepherds were considered unworthy individuals their work made them ceremonially unclean first of all but in many ways they were outcasts of society occupying what is called a lowly place and in the Pharisees minds they would describe them as definitely sinners have nothing to do with them but to their credit and that type of life was not an easy life first of all you're going to live out in the open you're going to live at best in some type of tent that you have come up with, and you're going to face dangers, aren't you? Remember of David, we're told that when David was going to fight Goliath, we're told that he had killed the lion. He had killed the bear. You know what I would do if I saw a bear? I did see a bear one time when I was hunting, and the bear was thinking the same thing I was thinking, because it went that way, and I went that way, because the guys I went with, we are muzzle loading. Now, you ladies, I'm sorry. Well, not all you ladies. We got some hunting hunters in this church that are female, but I know that that uh, the guys I hunted with never told me that. Oh, here's why. Here's what you need to be careful with a bear. And if you wound it, and that's why one of our guys carried a sidearm, but I didn't have a sidearm. Now, that's I'm sorry. I digress. Forgive me. <laughs> you know. But anyway, they faced, didn't they, these dangers, if you will. They faced long hours. They faced poor conditions. And yet, isn't it interesting, in Jesus' birth, if it was in the winter, and we probably can say it was, we're not sure if we could say it was December, but there's a chance it could have been. Definitely, we'd say probably wasn't the 25th. These shepherds, and at least to a degree, some of their sheep would have been some of those sheep that in just a few months when Passover took place, would be sacrificed in that celebration as well. And I find it interesting that they were the first ones, if you will, to hear the news that the angels brought. You guys, do you understand that's like our God? Our God is all about being mindful of the outcast, being mindful of the one that isn't noticed. Because to God, every single one of us is important. There's nobody that is more important than others. You know, as a pastor, I've been pastoring now for over 40 years, and oftentimes we are approached like we have all the answers, but I always have to remind people that I'm a sinner just like you are. I'm saved by grace just like you are. And I have temptations just like you do, right? And so what an amazing thing, though, that the Lord came to these shepherds. And what did Jesus say in Mark 2, 17? He said to the scribes and the Pharisees when eating with the sinners in Texas, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but it says sinners. And so here's a great example for you and I. And again, I would just say this this morning. If you are here today and you are in that place today, something's going on and you just think that, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those that really, I'm not even on the Lord's radar. I got news for you. You are on his radar more than you think. And Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for you. And he loves you. And so verse 9, look at it again. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord, come on, put yourself in scripture. You're there in the field. The glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear an angel appeared to them. So it's that would have been enough. But along with the angel, guess what you get? You get the glory of God because angels come from the presence of God. And so the angel appeared, the glory of the Lord is shining around. And again, we could only guess what that must have looked like, but it filled them with fear. Glory there, if you look it up, has the idea of brightness, a radiant light, Remember Paul when he was on the way to Damascus to persecute the church and the Lord appeared to him and it was a great light and he was blinded? That kind of gives us an idea of what might be taking place here. And I think we might have reacted that way as well, wouldn't we? If all of a sudden we are a shepherd and it's just another night like every single night, the fire's burning, I don't know where we're at, when we're gonna go to bed, whatever, and all of a sudden this angel appears out of nowhere, the sky lights up, and we are filled with fear. It's interesting, if I can take you back in, and you don't have to turn there, if we go back uh, to the first chapter of Luke, it is the account of Zechariah, who was John the Baptist's father. And in Luke, he has been chosen to serve that time And he's in the temple doing so. And at verse 10 and 12, it says, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the house of hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar incense. And listen, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. So interesting, isn't it? That in one, you're out in the middle of nowhere and they're fearful. In the other, you are in the house of God and an angel appears and you're fearful. And here in chapter two, the NIV might help us better capture the real sense when it says they were terrified, which stresses the intensity of that night in that shepherd field. And the NET says they were absolutely terrified. And this might be something that can speak to us today. If you know the Bible, then you know that this is a common phrase. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Now think in your mind. Let's play a game here. Take a guess. How many times do you think the words fear not appear in the Bible? I'll help you. They appear 359 times at least. 359 times from the Old Testament to the New Testament, God says fear not. How about do not be afraid? What do you think about those words? Not quite as many, but they appear some 186 times in the Bible. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. And I say this with confidence this morning, that the Lord doesn't want his children to be filled with fear. Are we filled with fear at times? Absolutely. Do things scare us at times? Do things terrify us at times? Do sometimes things happen in our life and we don't know what's going on and there's uncertainty? Yes. But the Lord wants to replace our fear with his peace and his trust. And God always wants to counter our fear, if you will. We see that in this passage. God always wants to, when he sees fear arise in us, he is right there, if you will, to counter that fear. And usually it's a combination. It's going to be with his word and with his Holy Spirit because they work together, don't they? And so we see that often that God wants to counter that. And here the shepherds see an angel along with the brilliance of the glory. It terrifies them. And look at verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. There's God's counterpunch. The angel shows up. They're afraid. And God deals with it instantly. Fear not. Fear not. And notice why. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today. And what is it? The Savior has been born. See, you and I are different than the Jews of those days and Israel of those days in the sense that we have not all our life been looking for the Messiah to come. They have been. And they were looking for the day when the Messiah would be born. And so all of a sudden now, when the angel arrives, not only would it have been spectacular to have an angel speak to you, and then the heavens light up with more angels, but then to hear that news that the Christ has been born, the Savior of the world has been born. And maybe for some of us, it doesn't need to be pointed out, but for others who still haven't made a decision for Christ, you need to know this. Jesus is the savior of the world. The idea here, when it says a savior has been born, it isn't isn't the idea of a savior, uh, one among many. That's not the idea there. The idea is the savior has been born. The answer to man's sinful condition has now entered into the humanly realm. And in a short time, he will give his life as a sacrifice, just like all those sheep in the field would be sacrificed for the sins of the world. And we need to know Jesus is the savior of the world. Jesus is the answer to man's sinful condition. Are you able to admit that you're a sinner? Even if you know Christ this morning, are you? I find that some people can't. Some people are real hard about that. My goodness, I I wish it wasn't true. And I hope you don't think worse of me for saying what I'm about to say. But there's not a day go by that I don't realize what a sinner I am. And I'm not saying that I'm acting out and committing all kinds of sins, but I just realize what lies within me and what it means to me that Christ has come in and forgiven me. Many believe there are other saviors. There's other ways to heaven. You know that. I'm not telling you nothing you don't know that it's only Jesus that died for the sins of the world. It is only Jesus that is a savior of the world. That's why Christmas is incredible. It's like what we did this year, we put the manger and the cross together because there is the beginning and the end, Amen? amen? Jesus didn't come into the world so that we could have these wonderful Christmas celebrations, give gifts to each other that probably has not too much to do with Christmas. He came into the world because of the cross. And he came into the world to die that you and I then could have eternal life and fellowship with him. In Acts 4.4 4 we read, and there is salvation and no one else, Peter said. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by what we must be saved. And I don't mean to make anybody uncomfortable, but then if you are uncomfortable, so be it. Because I think it's only as we face our condition that we then we are willing at times, at best, to do something about our condition that we need to understand. There is no other way to heaven but through Jesus Christ. In John 14, 6, what did Jesus say? He says, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me, except through my sacrifice, my life, see? And how about Hebrews 27, 17? Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. In other words, he took on flesh, he became like you and I, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. And I love that. That our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, it tells us that he is not just a high priest that one day will bring judgment, but he is merciful. And I hope you're saying, and how I need his mercy. And he is faithful. He was faithful to do God's will. He is faithful to continue to see what God's will is done in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, that's a big word, isn't it? That's what the ESV uses, propitiation. I know you use that word every day. (laughs) Here's what propitiation means. It's averting the wrath of God by the offering of a gift. It refers to turning away the wrath of God as the just judgment for our sin by God's own provision of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross. It's the NIV that says this, that he might make atonement. That's what a propitiation means. The NT, the New Living, says that he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the world. And so as it's often said, and I love this, is Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. And you are in one of two places today. Either you could say, Jesus is my atoning sacrifice, or you can't say that because he isn't your atoning sacrifice yet. Oh, he is. He is the only way, and he wants you to receive him as the sa- receive his sacrifice. But it has to be personal, doesn't it? And we want to be considering that today. And then I love verse thirteen and fourteen. So verse it says the fear of the joyful fear. Then verse. Uh, um, oh, let me go back to eleven. I passed eleven. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is a Christ. And this would be a sign to you, you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, and here it is. And suddenly, and suddenly, <laughs> you know, I don't mean to pull God down to our level, but I wonder if God enjoys this type of stuff at times. <laughs> I don't know if he does. Does he sit up in heaven and go, oh, this is going to be so good. <laughs> Watch this, man. We'll start with one angel. And then you guys in the wings, get ready. Okay, get ready, you know. But he says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. The multitude of angels, more than one, a bunch, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on peace among those with whom he is pleased. And heaven, it's like it can no longer contain itself. This has been an event that has been planned from eternity past. And now it was time when the Savior would be born. And the birth of all births has taken place. And mankind's salvation now was closer than ever. And And it might not seem like evidence like I pointed out the fulfillment of prophecy. But doesn't heaven's reaction to the birth of Jesus confirm who he is? Doesn't it confirm that he is the Savior? He is Christ and Lord, as verse 11 says. And so verse 15, it says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds collapsed in exhaustion. No, it doesn't say that. Okay. Did you know it didn't say that? I just want to make sure you're tracking with me. Okay. <laughs> when the angels went away from he- into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, and again, are you in the scriptures? Are you there in the group of shepherds? Let us go over to Bethlehem. And so I get the impression, like I told you, it wasn't far. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us today. In other words, what did the Lord make known to them today? The Savior has been born. He did it by the angel. And they went with haste. There it is. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby. Oh, this is not just any baby. This is the Son of God, lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And so what an incredible story we see, don't we? in this passage of our system.